Today's scripture will be Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old, and you are everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holy bene holiness benefits your house, O Lord, forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Matthew. And thank you, Paulson family. Let's thank them. Um, and yeah, so, so th thankful for you all. Um, they're one of m m many families I'll just kind of point out for, I know we have a lot of younger families and kind of even college age and different things. If you're uh, looking for wisdom and just insight on whatever it might be in your life, they're one of, again, a number of um, faithful, wise families I would strongly encourage you to, to go and get to know and to just talk to, hang out with. Um, they have a lot of great things to say about a boom bunch of things. Um, so now as we uh, transition into our sermon, I'm very excited to um, get to introduce a good friend of mine this morning who's going to be um uh, who's going to be preaching and going to be leading us through uh, through this again this this time this Advent um, series this morning as we look at what child is this and um, you know uh, as I introduce him before he um, comes up I'll just say a, a couple things about Chris because I want to make sure that you all know um, my excitement in this first of all he's the first other um, kind of Tucson pastor non redemption person to come and just to preach here and um and that you know not that we've kind of kept everyone out or anything like that but um just he it, it does make sense that he would be the first one he's just um when I've gone through a few different things in my life and had some big questions with my own family or different things he's been re re really one of the first people that I've called or in, in one kind time the first and I said hey can we meet I'm kind of you know I need to be pastored and uh this is so this is a guy that really pastors me who is blessed to be your pastor. And so Chris is the lead pastor. I just said pastor like seven times. Um, Chris is the lead pastor at um, the Vi Vineyard Community Church. And um, again, very excited to have him uh, preach uh, this morning to us. So let's go ahead and welcome Chris DeHaan up as he makes his way up here. All right. This podium is set for younger eyes than mine, okay, there we go. I'm uh, glad to be here. Um, we, we pray for Redemption Tucson every single week, and actually your enthusiasm, um, your willingness to wrestle with hard questions, your commitment to the word and worship in this city has stirred up my own heart. Um, over the years, hearts can settle and just kind of get into a maintenance mode, and it's just refreshing to have others come around and kind of stir that up, and it has been a good thing for me. You are on um, this What Child Is This? This series. I think you did Son of God and Son of Man. So the, the idea that Jesus is the Son of God, the Almighty, the Creator, the, the, as we heard, the Sovereign One, who is, um, unless He makes Himself known to us, He is way out there, right? And that's Jesus. He's also, you look at the Son of Man, the one who came here, aligned himself with us. I, I think you talked about him being the connecting piece between um, sinful man and a holy God. 
And so this transcendent one, and Jesus being the Son of Man, comes in is at this, this place. And as we work through these names, do they, do they really matter? And the fact is that um, only a descendant of Adam can carry our sin, and only a holy God can provide atonement for it. And Jesus embodies all that as God himself here. So you guys are considering Advent, the arrival of God in the flesh. Um, you know, as kids, I don't think um, Christmas has its own sense to it, right? I grew up in Chicago, so my um, Christmas for me was looking at the snow out my window. Uh, we had these split row fences. My mom would decorate them with bows and ribbons, and we had all sorts of pine trees, and we would wrap them in the, what do you call it, the popcorn strings, so all the, all the birds would be happy. Um, and Christmas was actually the time, I think, even though it was never spoken, we'd pretend like we were a happy family. Um, and as a kid, you kind of just kind of rest into that and, and take it for what it's worth. Um, good things. Uh, we, uh, we, um, the word was taught in our home. And so I understood somewhat what Christmas was about. But it was still um, Christmas stuff and gifts and all that kind of, all those good, fun things. I discovered um, the truth about Santa. I don't want to discourage anybody here, but um, when I was about seven, we had this huge fireplace. It was about seven feet wide and about five feet tall. We put these huge logs in there, and we would put the, um, the milk and cookies out for Santa. And I remember my mom said one day, she, my mom always had coffee in her hand all the time, black coffee. And she goes, you know what? I think Santa gets more than enough milk and cookies. He would love to have a pot of coffee Sitting there for him, I remember thinking, something's not right about that, so <laughs> I figured it out. As I said, kids, we have, uh, I don't think we have any idea the magnitude of the arrival of Jesus. And even as adults, even as maturing believers, the impact of what occurs and what we remember at this time is often lost on us. Um, or perhaps we simply don't pay attention to it, or even maybe more likely, even for myself, we simply don't settle into and really pay attention to who came, because the king came here, which is what we're looking at this morning. Um, he wants to reign over this heart. And the more I consider who he is, the more the conviction is that, do I really let him reign in all the places in our hearts? And sometimes we just don't want it, and so we don't pay attention to it. So let's pray, and then let's uh, look at this. This morning we're looking at Jesus, the son of David. Lord, I would ask that um, for myself and for each of us here, that you would actually do the work that we often don't want to do ourselves to clear away the things that keep you from speaking clearly and the areas that we hold autonomy in and do not want to give it over to the son of David, that uh, you would not allow us to stay in that place. So help us to listen well to our only teacher, the Holy Spirit, to think of how to respond, and in the week to come to actually um, put into place the steps that you call us to. So do that in our midst, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're looking at the son of David, so what I'd like to do is just very briefly describe what does that mean, and then what I'd like to do is three things, just do a quick scriptural um, kind of an overview of the, the story of the son of David, and who he was, and how the scriptures described him, 
and then a, a specific story of the son of David actually intersecting one life, because for each of us, that's where it comes down to what happens here, and then a way to respond to that. Literally, when we talk about Jesus being the son of David, it just means a descendant of David. That's it. It's, it's the genealogy. It's, we have, I have three kids, so they're my sons and my daughters. They're just the descendants of David. The, the genealogy that we get, like in Matthew, qualifies Jesus to be the heir to the throne because he was a physical descendant of David. His father, too, you look in the, in the gospel, says Joseph, who was the son of David, was also son of David. So this is a physical descendant. They're connected to being, it's the, the idea that you looked at last week, being the son of man. Jesus was here, he was in the flesh. And he had this genealogy that, that he carried with him and that made him a son of David. It connects him here. Um, it connected him to that place because he was born into a certain place in a certain region to certain parents. And so he was a descendant. The promise to David is that, that we get in the Old Testament that there would be a direct descendant that would someday sit on the throne. Of course, there was no throne at that time, really. Um, Herod sat on a throne. But a direct descendant of the very line of, of David would, would uh, sit on the throne. So, which is why Jesus had to be born to Mary. We need, he needed a physical mother in order to fulfill that line of David. So literally, the son of David just means a descendant of David. Theologically, it means the promised messianic king that would come someday. The fulfillment of the prophecy concerning the throne of David, it's, uh, the scriptures tell that David's throne would be an everlasting throne, and that the one who would sit on his throne would be everlasting. And the son of David, in this sense, is connected also um, to Ezekiel 37. It actually says that there would be one king and a shepherd for all time. And it talks about one sitting on the throne of David. Um, who would finally fulfill that purpose. Jesus is the promised messianic king, and it's that aspect of him that we want to look at today. So when we talk about being the son of David, this morning we're going to mainly look at what does it mean that Jesus is the king? Because that was the promise to David. There would be a king who would sit on your throne, and he would sit there forever, and that throne would be everlasting. So what does that mean? As I said, we're going to do three things. A quick overview of Jesus as the son of David, the Messianic king. A look at one story of where the son of David intersects a single life, and then specifically a way that we can do something with that. So the story of the son of David, I'm not going to read the scripture for this one, but it begins in the garden, does it not? As God himself, out of the fullness of who he is, um, speaks forth creation to reflect who he is, and he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and he doesn't say he's king, but he is king over them. He rules over them. But in that garden, which was actually a temple, really, there was absolute unhindered relationship between God and his people, Adam and Eve. There was nothing between them. Um, the, I read one writer says that if you'd ask Adam, when do you worship, he would say, he wouldn't know what you're talking about. Because everything was worship. His entire being was made for worship, and he experienced it in the garden. And so it begins in the garden from the very start. Um, they're in this place, this garden, God's temple, and there's connection and peace, and there's life. But we know that in that place, something happens. It's rejection. Right from the beginning, 
They reject God. And they, the sin of autonomy um, shows up in them. And, and in their actions, they basically say, we do not want God to rule over us as king. We want to make our own kingdom. And so they choose to make it of their own, and there's disaster. We all know that story. And there's this incredible separation. And suddenly God, because he's holy and you're sinful, can't be in their midst. What was that like the first time to, to know nothing but unhindered relationship with God, and suddenly in a moment it's gone? It must have just been absolutely tragic. We get used to sin, don't we? And we don't really realize separation, but there's this huge separation, this rejection. And in that rejection, though, the great news is that God pursues. He keeps pursuing them. He keeps pursuing them. Because he knows to make him their king is the best thing for them. And yet his people continue to reject him as king. And you can recall the Israelites, um, they wanted to have a, uh, as they went through, they said, you know, we'd really like to have a king because all the other nations have kings. And Samuel says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Uh, 1 Samuel 8, verses 6 and 7 says, This thing, which was the Israelites desiring a king, displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And so from this very early time, God, who is this, to be king over them, and the people say, we want a different kind of king. And there is a rejection of God being king over their life, which we have all done. Interesting, it's, it's interesting that God takes their desire for a king and their sin and their rejection in it, and then he uses it to actually bring Christ into this place and to make him our king. Uh, nothing thwarts the plans of God. Third of all, we have promise. Um, the, the, the remaining part of the Old Testament scriptures over and over again begin to lay out these prophecies and promises of a coming king and that a king whose reign will not end. What God warned about them had, had happened and um, the kings that were brought in their place, although there's a few good ones, for the most part they were evil. They, they um, directed people away from worship with God they extracted things from them. They made life hard for them. Um, they diverted their paths in all different ways. They were often demanding, and yet in the midst of that, God had a plan, even with all these evil kings, to bring about something for them, a fulfilling of a promise. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, and verses 16, speaking to David, says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers which is a nice way of saying you've died. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your very body. In other words, it has to be of his lineage, his physical lineage. And I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. Interesting, verse 12 and 13 there have to do with um, somebody else is going to build a house for me, and another one is going to sit on my, your throne. It's talking about Solomon, who's the next one. But then there's a shift here in verse 
13, he says, after he builds a house, he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Which doesn't happen, by the way. The, the kingdom gets divided and exiled and God's presence departs from the house and all these things happen. And then he goes on and says, the house of your kingdom will be sure forever and established forever. And we actually learn later on, the one who sits on that throne will sit there forever, which can't be Solomon. It's got to be somebody else. Who can live forever? Only God can in that place. And it's talking about this promise that although they've rejected God as being king over them, God is going to bring this messianic king, this son of David, who eventually established the throne of God forever, desiring to establish in his people as well. And that's Jesus. Book of Micah 5.2 says, You, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel. Well, that could be lots of different kings, right? But then it goes on, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient of days. It's speaking of the one who's always existed and always will. The one that comes forth is God himself, coming in the person of Jesus as the son of David. And so we have this great promise that God takes thousands of years to begin to bring about, to bring the kingship back into the lives of his people and ultimately to all nations. And then we have the arrival of Jesus, the advent. Jesus is the promised son of David, the messianic king, God with us. And we oftentimes at Advent, we read about all these prophecies that were fulfilled because when Jesus came that first time, those things were fulfilled. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him, what? The throne of his father David. The son of David takes the throne. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Speaking of Jesus, the son of David, the king who takes the throne, and it's the throne that he, he sits on for all time. Today he does. And here it all comes together in this, this strange mystery of what we call the incarnation. The promised king who would, who would sit on the throne, which they didn't see then, did they? They just saw him die and raised again, but yet he sits on the throne. He comes as a baby, this eternal one. The son of David, the son of God, the son of man. And actually, this is where the son of God, God himself, the almighty, the ruler, which you heard about, and the son of man, the one who comes here and aligns with us, they all come together in what we say is the son of David, this messianic king who's existed for all time, God himself, here in this place to take David's throne again. And then we have the presentation of the king. Mark chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Because when you have a king, there needs to be a presentation and a coronation, and he needs to take the throne, right? It's talking about the, the entry into Jerusalem. Those who went before him and those who followed were shouting out, Hosanna, blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of who? Our father David, Hosanna in the highest. That's when the Pharisees got really angry. 
because they were declaring Jesus to be the very prophesied son of David, the messianic king who would rule. Interesting, the, the promise is that the son of David would be a dwelling place for God so that God could once again be among his people. Um, you know, in the garden, as I said, there was this unhindered relationship, and then it's broken, and God desires to be in the midst of his people, so he brings a temple, and he creates a holy of holies, so God can somewhere be in the midst of his people. Jesus comes along, and it's, he is the very house of God among the people. Suddenly, God is out of the box, and he's traveling. Jesus says, remember in that, that story, he says, if you tear this temple down, me, I'm going to rebuild it in three days. So the very presence of God, the temple of God, comes in the person of Jesus, the son of David, as he moves across in their midst. There's no veil anymore. There's no cloud or the mountain, just Jesus among them. And he presents himself at the, 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 the arrival into Jerusalem as the Messianic king. And they all say yes for a moment. Of course, um, sadly, as is the case today, um, his kingship is rejected again. They said no. They said no to it. And yet he finished the work through the only way he meant to in the first place, which was this, the opposite of what kings do, as a path of descent, a path of, of dying, a path of servanthood, a path of um, no one recognizing anything about him and finishing his work as he did it on the cross as we gather around the table and remember that. After this presentation, though, then there is an ascension to the throne. Acts chapter 2, let me read this. this I like um, what is said in this sermon. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. In other words, David died. He was not that promised one, of course. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants, the son of David, on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about what? About the resurrection of the Christ, both Lord and Christ, and this is the one Jesus whom you've crucified. Interesting that Peter says the, the king who you rejected and gave his life when he ascended he calls it, it's the ascension to the throne. And the resurrection is this, this welcoming of the king actually taking place. And we say he sat down on the right hand of God the Father and took his place on the throne. And today he reigns, Psalm 45, 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your, scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. So the story still goes on, doesn't it? And as we gather around the table and remember what he did later on, we're also looking ahead to the second advent when that, that final chapter gets written. And it's not just on his throne, but the whole world sees it. Isaiah 40 talks about the, that the whole, all flesh will see because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And one day everyone will see that the son of David actually sits on the throne. So Jesus, the son of David, our king, does it matter? 
Does it impact this place? When we think of kings, we think of people far away, don't we? Um, even even the, uh, the, our, our city government can seem far away. Um, they're in some other place. Does it, does it make a difference here and now? And I love this story, the story of the son of David from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 49. Just read a portion of it about Bartimaeus. It says, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, and he's on his way to Jerusalem to die at this point. He's on his way. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, He's on the periphery of society. As far away from kingship as you can get is where Bartimaeus is at. And he was sitting by the roadside. And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. You know what he cried out? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's saying, Jesus, messianic king, the ruler, have mercy on me. So we have this, this guy who's Way in the outskirts, God will never come and touch him. The king is never going to pay attention to him. Way out there, calling out to Jesus, the son of David, the messianic king, have mercy on him. The people rebuked him and told him to be silent. And he just cried out more and more, son of David, he said, over and again, have mercy on me. And then this great verse says, Jesus stopped. In the midst of all the noise and all the crowd and all the other people desiring his attention, he stops. And he says, call him. And they called the blind man and said to him, take heart, get up, he is coming to me. There's a couple of things here. What I love, he, he calls out to Jesus as his king. As a slave would call to his king, have mercy. Interesting, if you go to the section before this, the disciples are arguing about who can be first in the kingdom. And their idea is we get to be by the king. We're pals with the king, and we want great places. And Jesus says the ones who be great are the ones who are servant of all, which is what Jesus is going to do. Bartimaeus gets it. He knows he's just a servant. And he knows that Jesus is king. And he calls out to him. Kings are far away. But kings have power, don't they? He knew that Jesus, as the king, had the power to impact his life. We have rulers in our world today, in our country, who have power to, to do things. The question is, if they're way out there, will they do anything? If, if God is so far out and transcendent, and the holy God, the this, this son of God that we think he is, which is awesome, because that means he has the power to do something. But will he? Will he for this place and for us and sitting here for this poor man sitting by the roadside? The son of David is transcendent because he's God himself and he's able to make a change. Today we need um, more than any other time a king who is far outside of this place, I, I think. We don't need someone who's stuck in this place like we are, but we need one who is above it all, who's sovereign, who's, who's over all these things and not sucked into the place like we are. We do need a king like that. We need one who's able and powerful and outside and above all the dust and grime. And the son of David is able because he is the transcendent king. But then we have this connecting that happens. 
And this one who's transcendent and outside and far away stops in this dusty road and he makes connection as close as you can get. And he says, call him to me. Call him. And they bring him to him. The transcendent son of David comes near and he's right there and he's able, but the greatest news is that he's not just able, but he's actually willing to do something. And he steps into this place. And in Bartimaeus' life, he steps on that dusty road right up to him. And he's willing and he becomes this very present, humble king. We need a son of David because we need someone who's above all this. And we enable. And we need someone who's right here and is willing and says yes to us. And that's what we get when we bring the Son of God and the Son of Man, and you bring them together in the Son of David who reigns for all things, and yet he sits in our midst with us. He's above, reigning, and sovereign, and able, and he's present and compassionate, tempted in all ways, yet we, like we are, yet without sin, and he's, he's willing, and it makes all the difference in the world. After, uh, in 1980, after I finished college, I took... Uh, three months, and we supported some missionaries in our church um, in the northern Amazon. And so a friend of mine and I called, got a hold of them and said, we'd like to come and help. And um, they said, come. And so we, we spent um, three months in the jungle. And um, I had never been in the jungle before, and it, all the fears immediately were there. Um, the missionaries had this house. They had been there 20 years. They, they went there when they were 19 years old. They had been there 20 years when we got there. And they had a house built on the river. And then there was a generator that they would run at night for about two hours so we could do a few things and we'd go off. And then up the hill, there's this path into the jungle. Um, it was jungle everywhere, but there's this another little house that some nurses had built and were living in. They were gone. They'd been gone for about uh, six months on a furlough. And so all the critters had moved into the house, which happens immediately. And so we were in there and we're fighting critters all the time. And there was this, but the path went up there um, you'd, there was a, we'd use a flashlight at night because you, you don't want to step on bad things when you're walking up there. You know, I just, whatever, there's all sorts of things. So there's jaguars and there's snakes and there's everything. And in our minds, despite that I was this young 22-year-old thinking I could do anything, I was terrified. So I just, if there's something that's going to eat me, it's probably going to get me on the way up to the cabin. And the, we had a chicken coop with about 18 chickens that were attached to the house that we stayed in. And we were supposed to close that up every night. And um, we were down at the missions place playing Rook, which is the Christian game to play. So we were playing Rook. And um, turned the generators on so we can't hear anything. And we were dialed down. We said goodnight. And my friend and I headed up the path. There were flashlights walking on the path. And all of a sudden I look and I realize, oh, we didn't close the chicken coop. And um, I looked and there was all the chickens were all dead. Every one of them. And there was blood everywhere. They were just ripped apart. And um, I remember I was like five years old again. And I was just, we were screaming and we were yelling and we forgot the flashlights and we, were, we went running down the hill as fast as we can and we're just yelling, they're all dead, they're all dead, they're all dead. And we're just like in this panic. We're just going crazy. We run in their house and we're screaming and yelling. And I remember, um, I remember like it was yesterday, Mr. Cable, um, he put it, I remember he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, everything's fine. I mean, they just lost 18 chickens, which is a big deal, because they, they weren't easy to get. And I remember him putting his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Chris, it's all fine. 
And I remember um, there was an immediate sense of he wasn't God. But at that moment, that's what it felt like. It was like, if anybody can take care of things, he can take care of it. And I remember thinking, oh. and then the next thing he says, let's go take a look. And I remember we turned around and it just was completely different. Nothing had changed. Um, something bad had killed all the, all the chickens. Um, but I was so impacted. Everything just stopped. And everything settled down. And even if nothing changed, I knew everything was okay because of who I was with. And the son of David came to do the same thing. He comes in in the midst of the chaos of our world and all the, the struggles and the chaos of our own hearts and lives and the things that go on for us. And he comes along and he says, I am sovereign. I am the one who reigns and sits on the throne for all time. And I'm going to walk with you right here. I'm walking where you go. And it changes everything. It changes everything. So how do we respond to it? Psalm 93 says, speaking of the son of David, it says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. He has strength as his belt. The world is established and will never be moved. His throne is established from of old. He is everlasting. And he stands over and above that. And guess what he says? I want to be king over you. Actually, I am king over you. You just got to recognize it and let me do that work. That's who he is. But it also talks about where we live. It says, the floods have lifted me up. The floods have lifted up their voice. And they're lifted up their roaring. This picture that we're just being flooded over with all this stuff. And it's where we live. And he wants to enter in that place. And the floods may not go away. But he wants to enter that place with us as our king. So two things this morning. Go ahead and close your eyes for a moment. Two brief exercises. The son of David, the king, the eternal one who sits on the throne. Um, maybe most of us here at one point said, come into my heart, take over my life. We've done that. And yet, if you're like me, there are all sorts of places where we've maybe not quite said it this way, but it's true nonetheless, we've said no to him reigning in a place in our life. And you can be king over everything, but maybe not here. So first of all, the first thing I'd like to do is consider where do you need to let him reign in your heart again? And if you're not able to give it up, just tell him that as well, because he can do the work for us. Sometimes we grip things so hard, he's got to make us let go. Where do you need to let him reign afresh as the king in your heart today? And second of all, because he's made our hearts his temple. Everywhere you go this week, the kingdom goes with you. And the one who reigns goes with you. Um, we only spend a little bit of time in this place. And most of our times I'll spend out outside of this place. So I want you to actually maybe begin with tomorrow morning. 
and actually visually think through your day tomorrow. And you can keep going to Tuesday, Wednesday if you want, but maybe you only get through Monday. Where will you be in the morning, afternoon, appointments, place of work, relationships, whatever it is, traveling. Think of each place you're going to be specifically, and each of those specific places, say, Lord, bring your kingdom here. And think of that place. Say, bring your kingdom there. And just pray through the first couple days of your week. Lord, we would confess that our own sense of autonomy has a strong grip and it's hard to eradicate. And we would do the hard prayer of asking you to just do what you've got to do to remove that from us so that you could have freedom over our hearts to reign as the King, the Son of David. Lord, we thank you for all that you gave up for us, even the the table this morning that's this very specific place where heaven touches earth. That you would continue to change us and make us uh, ready to let you reign. And then, Lord, I would ask that you, through us and through your reigning in our hearts, you would bring the kingdom to all the places we go because the places we go need your kingdom. And you have the ability to make change, and you are willing to do it. So do it through us. In Jesus' name, amen.